Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the uh, 12th week of the summer 2017 anime season. I'm your host Dustin and with me today is Larry. Yeah, I uh, managed to be here. Ben. You. And Aaron, who is who recently spammed us with a bunch of Kake Gurui screenshots and now I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Uh... As always, you can find show notes at www.projectharhi.net and at audioentropy.com. And we will begin with Princess Principal, episode 12. You know, I figured it wasn't going to end well, but this really didn't end well. So, hmm... This is actually going to come up a couple times with uh, with a couple different shows here, but this is a, another example of an episode that, honestly, like for most of it, went pretty well. Like I was enjoying the actual like infiltration mission and stuff like that. I really love Dorothy being a terrifying driver. <laughs> um, and I liked a lot of the actual like mission that happened. And then the episode just kind of stopped. Stopped about <laughs> the time the princess got shot in the leg. Uh, well, I, I actually... So, I'm going to skip ahead to the end because I think it's going to inform sort of like how we talk about the structure of this episode. But like the real issue I have with Princess Principal episode 12 is that once the mission is over, they've rescued the princess, they're getting away from the chat... Was it a chapel? Was it a castle? I can't remember. I think it was a cathedral. 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 Uh, And they're escaping from the cathedral. Um, We then cut to uh, suddenly, like, their original commander comes back and they face no repercussions for technically disobeying orders. Uh, And then just suddenly they're on a beach somewhere. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) They're in Casablanca. Yeah, the. Like Zelda gets away to like you know you know be a villain for the another season, but ultimately the store the plot line just kind of fizzles out, and then everything's fine. It's just a weird. It's just a weird kind of anticlimax, really. Yeah, that was a serious weakness of this episode. Uh, Which is all the more disappointing because I think. The first half of this episode was pretty solid, um, what with all the action going on. Um, and Ben was right. Uh, I will cop to that. Ben was right about his interpretation of uh, what uh, a Princess said to Ange, um, and that she she was bluffing and was just looking for an excuse to, you know, uh, try and prevent Ange from following her. Um but yeah, like the rest of the episode was like a pretty solid, you know, action heavy episode of Princess Principal, like we're pretty used to. And it kind of just like stumbled on, it just didn't stick the landing at all. It tripped over itself. Yeah, I think, yeah, there was a fundamental structural problem with the, with this episode, which was that they were like, they wanted, <laughs> You know, yeah, and that they were they were basically trying so hard to have like hooks for a se- for hooks for another season that they didn't allow this season to come to a proper conclusion. 
they failed to set the hook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was the ending was just very blatantly we're going to have another season instead of like being able to tease you the the next season but standing on its own well enough. See, the problem is that they already had a second season set up with all the um missed uh in out of um out of chronological order episodes. Because we got 24 stories, or 24 cases, but in 12 episodes. So they had another 12-episode uh, season planned without having to screw this up in, into a, uh, a sort of cliffhanger-to-be-continued episode. Well, yeah. This is like, uh, the, there are times I really wonder about these committees that they realize that maybe we are actually smarter or as smart as they are when they start producing stuff like this, that we can figure it out without them having to do something like this to upset the beep out of us. Oh, I beeped, <laughs> well, self-beeped. And, like, I had a bunch of problems with this episode in sort of the, the plot, I guess. What plot? So... Ange comes back uh, to find out what they're doing with the princess and he's about to shoot the guy and then Dorothy comes out and it turns out that the princess and Dorothy and Beatrice had a plan all along and just didn't tell Ange and how did Dorothy sneak around without being captured or anyone telling Zelda and how did they get in touch with uh, the princess when even Ange's secret messaging got uh, dis um, detected by Zelda? Ah, uh, yes, the mystery of Zelda. Uh, I don't know. Uh, next season. <laughs> uh, like, uh, the, the one thing that, the th thing about that that actually does bother me is, like, the whole Dorothy not letting Ange in on that, on the plan, that seems strange <laughs> yeah it, and it served no purpose other than to to add the drama to the uh, end of the previous episode yeah so I, I don't i don't know why they went with that um also um like those those are certainly like plotting issues uh for me ones that don't bother me a whole lot but they're certainly there whereas like yeah, I, I agree. Like, uh, the major issue for me while I was watching it was with the structural issues, but looking back on it, you know, I, I do agree that there were some strange character decisions. And, strange. uh, how did she say get her sword and bombs inside? Um. Okay, now you're talking also, about Chisei. say probably why? did that diplomatic thing. I'm with the uh, diplomat. Yeah, they still wouldn't allow swords and bombs inside the place with the queen. Hey. Don't. Yo, I'm just going on diplomatic privilege. <laughs> also, the uh, like the fact that the uh, the captain dude who supposedly is following the princess, etc., doesn't think anything is up when the princess is tied up and then gets shot in the leg. He's just like, oh, oh, may may maybe we shouldn't. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I that was that was a kind of duh moment. To, to be fair, he eventually comes around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, eventually, and then he acts like an idiot and gets shot. It it was. Uh, it was a Homer Simpson. It was real moment. dumb. Duh. And then Zelda gets away because why not? She's got one of those floaty thingies that everybody's not supposed to have. 
Oh, that was at least that was at least plausible. Plausible, but dumb. Well, like, no, she's just she's not a good character. Well, just no, have I mean... Chise kill her and be done with it. I I do admit I'm far more interested in the whoever is behind Zelda than I am about Zelda herself. Right. Uh, oh, it's the military dudes. The it's yeah because right because the the thing about the okay that actually sort of makes sense it sort of scans in that okay the way this the way this whole political military situation is set up is that. The Commonwealth and the Kingdom are very, like, are in a stalemate. They're very closely matched, so that, like, even, like, the smallest advantage could tip it for one side or the other. And so, I guess some bright sparks in the, bright sparks in the Commonwealth military figured that, you know, an assassination plot against the Queen, even if it didn't work, would throw the uh, throw the kingdom into enough chaos that the Commonwealth army could get an advantage. Well, why they're doing it makes sense. We're just saying that Zelda herself is kind of a dull character. Yeah, she was not very well developed at all. Uh, and all in all, yeah, Aaron's criticisms of the plot. Yeah, this this episode was definitely not as well constructed as previous episodes, and. It still had, I mean, it still, it still flowed reasonably well. It was reasonably well paced, and I still like. I still overall liked it, but I just it could have been it better. It wasn't on par with the rest of Princess Princess. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it got lazy. Yeah, yeah. So I can agree with that. I, I think my still my favorite scene in the episode is when uh, when she say. And her delegate comes up in the 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 ox drawn carriage. You betcha. Oh yeah. You're just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. You betcha. Like, where did you get that? And how long did it take you to get from wherever you were to that cathedral? We, we started two days ago, but you don't need to know that. Yeah, that was pretty good. And the the cards are just like, what? Uh, what? Are, uh, are are we supposed to let them through or? <laughs> what 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 do we do with the? Anyway, other than that, and then, as I had predicted, what, three podcasts yeah. ago at this point? Yeah, beach episode ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that ended on the beach. <laughs> okay, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, I, 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 I am fine with the idea of it ending, them, ending with them relaxing on a beach. I have an issue with how they got there. Um, and but the I think fact it's... that no one would notice that the principle of a country is out of said country? Oh, yeah. it's like oh that's strange the princess is just suddenly on a beach somewhere huh yeah, she, she took uh, but yeah I, I I do like that their that their vacation gets interrupted uh my main issue was just with how they got to that point in the first place there was some there was some connective tissue missing yeah yeah which hopefully right. maybe somewhere along the line we'll find out about. But uh, I give this episode a four and the series overall a five. I'm going to give this episode a three and the series overall a four. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this episode a four and the series overall a five. A low end of five, but still, you know. Yeah, uh, 
I'm going to go with two for this episode and four overall with these past two episodes dragging it down from a five to a four. Yeah, they, they were not the greatest. <laughs> also, it ends in lewd hand-holding. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's fine. It's not gay if it's hand-holding. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's the closest we'll ever get to a... Yeah. Uh... To a Yuri ending. Yeah, yeah, to a Yuri ending. <laughs> uh... Anyway, uh, let's right move along. on. Yeah, to Made in Abyss episode twelve. Had at, have at it, guys. Well, let's see. Rico's still silent, which made the episode pretty good. Yeah, I mean, most of the most of the episode. Yeah, most of the episode is uh, is an ex- is you know exchanges between uh, Nanachi and Reg with and... Uh, some interesting some interesting world building about. Yeah. The nature of the curse. Oh, and the thing is, is I think Nanachi knows Reg, what Reg really is, and she's just waiting for him to wake up. <clears throat> yeah, right. Because it, yeah, it's been hinting that uh, that Reg's memories of his uh, of his interactions with uh, with Rico's mother have been sealed somehow. Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. Uh, and, uh, right, and so we're just, like, waiting for, like, the moment when these memories become unsealed, which is probably not going to happen this season. <laughs> well, next episode's an hour long. Yeah. No, no, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Although well, the next episode should be pretty good. One hopes. Yeah, but, they pull it but off that correctly. means if, it, if, if it, the episode's good, that means that all three main characters are going to be I, I just wanna I, I guess at the end uh, Nachi's what to do with Miti kinda sort of that came out of left field uh, no it made sense in a way well, well I thought she he was gonna ask him to do her in and not Miti Nah. No, did did they explain what meaty is? Yes, she used to be very human. Okay, yeah, but what her current power is? No. Okay. <laughs> then I will wait. Except, except she drools all over Rico. Oh wait, wait a yeah, minute. That, she can, that's to heal she, her. But wait yes. a minute. They did say she could take any poison and turn it into an antidote. Was that mm-hmm. what you were? T- okay. Well, no, right. that's not what I was talking about. But okay, it'll well, get that's, to it later. it's the only th- it's the only thing that they said about Midi. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Yeah, I uh, yeah. There was an interesting bit when yeah, yeah. The uh, there's another encounter between uh, Reg and the Orb Piercer. Oh but, yeah, and it, and then the old man where he sent the message skyward. Right, yeah, because because uh, yeah, this bit where the uh, the orb piercer, like yeah, the orb piercer is about to kill this uh, you know cave raider, <laughs> and you know and like uh, and uh, Nanachi and Reg drive off the orb piercer and save the guy, and then Reg basically uh, convinces the guy to to send a message back to uh, the surface. 
Which, and that, but at the moment, everybody's alive and well, and we're still hunting down bad things. Yeah, and yeah, the in the like the orb piercer's capability, you know, the way it uh, interacts, the way it it works with the like the nature of the curse, because basically the curse is a feature of the force field. That, and so. Uh, and and the thing is, is that like the the most powerful monsters in the abyss can basically use the force field to like you know to uh, basically sense people's consciousnesses and like basically use like get a read on people get a read on people so they can predict what they can what they're going to do next. Well, she said Which, they can see into the future. So yeah. Well, except that. That's not really how that worked. It's not really. That's not how it played out in the encounter. It was not really reading the future because if it could read the future, then there was no way Reg would have. There was no Reg way Reg would have beaten it. What it, what it was was it was it was basically reading. Uh, it was reading Reg's thoughts. At least that's how I interpret that. And, and yeah, that that's how they explained it in the manga. Yeah, and so they defeated it. And so they defeated it. By basically having Reg act without thought, okay, uh, just by just by reacting to Nanachi's orders through the uh, through the radio. So, uh, yeah, which was uh, pretty smart tactic. Oh yeah, on the, yeah, except for the first time she hollered in his ear, <laughs> like, duh. So, uh, and then the the part that. I'm sure that's important, and I hope we'll find out about, was on the surface, the youngest member of the orphans almost died, and we don't know why. Yeah, right. You get, yeah, there's like the, uh, like, yeah, there's this reference to a birthday disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which he miraculously gets cured of for some reason. Or he didn't have one or the other. Yeah. So uh, I wonder what could be with that. <laughs> um, Aaron is loving this. Yeah, 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 it's pretty yeah, good. Uh, uh, yeah, well, okay, folks. Newsflash: If you haven't figured it out already, somebody else has read the manga and knows what's going to happen next, and is not telling us. But yeah, that's okay. I'm like that's that okay. with yeah. I'm like that with uh, My Hero Academia <laughs> and everybody's speculation about that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, Dustin, if you want a quick primer on uh, how the uh, the sort of layers and the the field going on with them works, this is it. Uh, what what the hell? <laughs> what is that even? I'm so oh, it's like a membrane, like a yeah yeah. Okay, it's like it's like how a throat works, where it's meant to be easy to go down, but stops you from going back up. Yeah. Yes, if, if your throat had spikes in it. I mean, to be fair, your throat kind of does have spikes in it. It's got the cilia, like the yes, but hairs. I mean, spike spikes. Okay. A- yeah. Anyway. So that, if, that's a simple explanation for the layer slash membranes. If your throat was designed by Vlad the Impaler. Need <laughs> <laughs> <Even> more spears. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this is a solid episode. I give it a four. Uh, yeah, I could pretty much live through that because Rico was still quiet. 
You know, I like Rico. I know, I, but man, that la- that last bit, just that last bit of you know of her chop the arm off this that and the other thing of course then again she didn't know Nanachi was there so yeah 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 it'll be interesting to see uh, how the ha- how the hand and arm all work after the little purple things do whatever they're doing right so Left. moving, moving on. Right along yep all right so let's move on to my Hero Academy, episode 37. Uh, the episode that tries to get us to care about Bakugo doesn't really succeed. No. At least not for me. But we do know one thing. When All Might gets serious, it, there's no favorites. Yes, this is true. I did really like uh, All Might going to town. Uh, that was real cool. Uh, and I did like how uh, they did eventually defeat, uh, well, not defeat All Might, but uh, escape from him. I did like how they worked together, but honestly, this episode just kind of made me, it kind of just reinforced my opinion that Bakugo is not a good person. Well, he has definitely has an issue, or six, or two. Yeah. Well, like, Bakugo's idea of like what makes a hero is that heroes are the people who can beat everybody up, which is generally not a great motivation for being a hero, let's yeah. say. Well, let's just hope he never turns to the dark side and joins the other idiot person. Mr. Everything like, decays when I touch it. Like, I can easily see him becoming just as much of an abuser as Endeavor is. Uh, yeah, it, if if not more so, I, I think Ben wants to say something, but he's not. No, that would, that I would be spoiling probably the next season. Uh, but yeah, he. Uh, he yeah, <laughs> I, I. My my prediction is that Bakugo becomes a villain. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. He joins up with uh, with uh, Mister Everything Decays. I can and, neither uh, confirm nor deny that. Like I, I know the one fire okay. dude. Like yeah, Endeavor is the fire dude. Like I know Ben's not gonna, and I don't want him to. I'm just putting that on the record as my prediction. Um, yeah, and the, then, uh, the one that's supposed to be the rival. Uh, yeah. So ba- yeah, Bakugo is the rival of Deku. He has like the grin. He has the ex- power to make explosions from his hands. Um, yeah, and Endeavor. Like- Endeavor is a dude with the fire powers who's the abusive father of Todoroki, who's the uh, who's the rival of Deku, who's not a complete jerk. Uh, half hot, half cold. Yeah. And it's the half hot side that he wishes he never had. But uh, he don't always get what you want. Oh, that's all right. In the future, I see a, uh, a uh, small All Might that has anti-gravity powers. But yeah, so I mean, like, uh, I enjoyed uh, several things about this episode, most of them having to do with All Might, um, but, like, I still just super do, don't like Bakugo at all. Well, like, I think, I think he's a, I think he's a more understandable bad guy now. Um, like, his, his his motivation for why he's such a jerk is more clear, but he's still a total jerk and I really don't like him. 
Though at least, but though, to be in Bakugo's defense, he's not Mineta, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I can go with that. Hey, well, I like this episode a whole lot. I give it a five. I'm gonna give it a three. I'm gonna give it a four. All right. <laughs> just just because so. just because of the, the the reason it doesn't get a three is that ton lashing that. Uh, uh, recovery girl gives uh, uh, all might at the end. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. It's like, can't you? It's like, didn't you think to hold back a little? <laughs> running in there like you got an army on your case or something. Come on, uh, I gotta fix these people. Come on. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul episode twenty three. Uh, half of which I really enjoyed, and half of which I just despised. Well, oh boy, I gotta say, Alessand went out exactly how he deserves. Pathetically, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Al- Allison went out exactly the way that, uh, like, through the exact same tactics he used to murder Maguro. And that's by someone stabbing him right in the chest when he least expected it. And he just is a complete, like, pathetic loser. And the last thing he sees is his comrade pitying him. And go to hell, Allison. <laughs> you deserved every bit of suffering you received. Uh, that was extremely extremely cathartic and i give the show props for how it handled allison's death i also give the show props for the really rad fight scene uh fight scenes with um lucifer uh oh gosh um uh joan and uh what's his name uh azazel yeah yeah, though those were great. Uh, I especially really liked seeing uh, a John go to town um, on the Onyx Nights. Yeah, and 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 it was one of the, it also it it neatly resolved like the whole thing where like where it made clear like in previous episodes that yeah the Onyx Knights were like you know basically you know sacrificing their lives to gain increased power in the short term, but. You had to know that they were going to hit a wall, and they did it right, you know, right when they were fighting uh, John and Azazel. Yeah. Uh, so, that stuff, all great. No issues with that at all, I think. Yeah, uh, I man. think for the most, I think, I think up until, like, the final few minutes, this was a very solid episode of Rage of Bahamut. Where it all comes crashing down is the final few minutes where Kaiser gets Rita to um, take him across the ship on a, like, on a basically surf wave of zombies, which is hilarious. Yeah, bridge of undead. Yeah. And as... As John and... uh, and Azazel are about to very rightfully murder the hell out of the prince. Kaiser, for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> uh, considering like how his character has been uh, portrayed in the past, 
jumps in front of Kaiser to save his life and presumably gets killed himself because I'm not entirely sure how Kaiser is supposed to survive that. Yeah, I mean, Maguro died just from having like being stabbed with a single knife. Uh, Kaiser just got stabbed by a giant spear and like several dark snake tentacles. So you're, you're saying there's a good possibility that Rita's not going to be able to fix this either. Like, if this had been Nina, I can sort of understand it. Like, I, it would make me hate Rita, Nina even more, but, like, I, I would get it. It would be consistent with her character. Um, but Kaiser was previously portrayed as caring far more about what was, like, what could save the most, uh, what, what could save innocence, what was just and right more than he cared about the wishes of the prince like the reason why he got sent into prison in the first place is because he blatantly consistently defied the prince's orders and like often actually helped out azazel so for him to just suddenly decide like yes i will sacrifice my life to save the genocidal fascist who also uh ran a slave labor camp like, not a slave labor camp, but slave labor concentration camp. It's just, what, dude? Uh, okay. I'm gonna slightly defend Kaiser here. Uh, okay. Okay, yes. <laughs> Charios is a genocidal fascist. However, he is the genocidal fascist with the key to the anti Bahamut weapon, which they kind of needed. Because See, Bahamut was okay. like Bahamut was like coming right up there. On an intellectual level, on a logical level, I agree with you. However, and this is the thing about Rage of Bahamut, and quote me on this, I will give this series a one if the final message of this show is that it is if it if is if in order to defeat Bahamut, we have to let the genocidal fascists live. That is garbage, and I absolutely hate that that seems to be exactly the way that this show is going. Um, is that, oh, it's all worth it because he killed Bahamut. F*** that. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, I'll make a note of that, but I really... I'll yeah, bleep it out, but I had to do that because I, know, I just feel I just, so strongly about this garbage. Yeah, I... Okay, yes. If if Cherios actually lives through this, I will definitely knock points off this show's final like, rating. But honestly I'll, honestly, I'll knock points off even if it's just like, oh, it's a noble sacrifice where the the armlet like takes his life in order to kill Bahamut. I will still be like, no, screw you. <laughs> or the big line is tell us what you really think Denozo because like ultimately ultimately noble sacrifice lives through the end same message either way um and that is unacceptable uh <laughs> man it's just it's just so disappointing that this is how this series is apparently ending a series that had up until like like throughout the first season 
and about like a third of the second season been going extremely well honestly like had even turned me around on the main character who i kind of didn't care for at the beginning to see it all fall apart like this and just go for such a like detestable direction with its like main antagonist slash apparently presenting him as an anti-hero is just oh god yeah i i i agree that like trying to make charios into an anti-hero rather than a flat-out villain is a seriously wrong direction is a seriously serious flaw with this series it's such a weird thing too because during the first season or at least like the first half of it for for most i'd say like i'd say for a good chunk of the first season the show was pretty ambiguously unambiguously against cherios uh and like a lot of the oh actually he's a tortured soul started coming in during the second season and it's just i don't I don't know if that's what they had originally planned all along, or if something happened midway through the planning. I have no idea, but it's just such a bizarre move. I don't even know. I can't. I don't even think I want to call bizarre as being too nice. Yeah. No. I've I've already made my feelings on like how I have like like not even just storytelling objections like there are plenty of those that i could do if i wanted to get like pedantic uh and like hella literary but even just from like a a moral standpoint it's just ugh um (laughs) well at least for the moment at least nina didn't jump in front of Chris and save anybody's life or yeah. save his life. So you know, you know, she would have though if she hadn't like been trapped on the sky carriage or whatever. Because she even shot it down to. Uh, it's just incredibly. It's just. It's also incredibly pathetic that after telling Favreau like, "Yes, I am prepared to do what needs to be done," and then completely failing to do that. Uh, when she got there, she is now actively telling John and Azazel, "No, don't kill him." <sighs> Nina, you're the worst. You are the worst. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on this show because I, I honestly don't like being super negative for so long on VodkaCast because it just makes me feel down as well. So let's... I'm just going to give this episode a two and move on. Uh, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Where are we going from here? Altair? Yeah. Now we're going on to uh, Altair episode 11, which uh, in contrast had a very good ending. <laughs> um... I really liked how this episode was resolved, and I really liked the um, the characterization and character development they gave to. Uh, I can't remember what his title is. I 
I'm going to say Prince. I'm pretty sure Prince is the wrong terminology You're talking about the for son. his particular position. You're talking about the son? Yeah. Yeah, you can call him a prince. That's fine. Yeah. Um, because, like, uh, you know, he he sees that uh, the princess, uh, you know, ha- had her eye set on her uncle, <laughs> which, okay. It's just uh, go with the flow. In, in okay, so in fairness to Altair, in that sort of time period, incest was not super unusual. Um, I could quibble with the romanticization of it, um, but it is like you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't somewhat realistic. Uh, and yeah, they um, didn't, and they didn't follow through with it. It was just like a yeah. It was just a thing, but... It was a mention, so, you know... It did it, it just, like, kind of make me raise my eyebrows for a second, though. Uh, but, yeah, when when he catches, overhears her saying, like, oh, yeah, um, you know, her, her heart is actually with someone else. And, like, he is conflicted about that. And what I liked about why he was conflicted is that he didn't feel, like, betrayed or anything... You know, he wasn't like, oh, screw her for not loving me. He was more like, uh, you know, is this an okay thing to do? Is it okay to marry her for political purposes when it may not even be that she'll even, you know, grow to love me? Like, he genuinely felt bad for her, um, which is such a refreshing change from how these plot lines tend to go. Uh, And... I just really liked how a lot of this episode was about him sort of realizing that there are no perfect decisions. There are no answers that anyone can give him where everybody is happy and everything is resolved in the most optimal fashion. And what he has to learn to do is is pick the option that his own ethics tells him is the right option regardless of what consequences may come from that because otherwise how are you going to live with yourself or even be able to follow through with your decision if you don't in your very soul believe in your decision um which is ultimately like what like his father's last words are to him the father would have chosen a different way and like very nearly did force his own way and rather than feeling betrayed by his son when his son murders him um to be fair in self-defense on behalf of his wife but still murder um soon to be like yeah it isn't isn't felt doesn't feel betrayed by that but is honestly proud of his son for feeling strongly enough about his own moral convictions that he will choose the, like, most likely far more difficult path because he believes it's it's the right one to choose. Um, It's a really good arc for him, and I really enjoyed this episode a lot. Yes. And And I honestly did not think I was going to come away from this arc feeling genuinely attached to like the secondary character that's in that was introduced an episode ago <laughs> like <laughs> and then uh 
poor Muhammad Bey, he's, uh, he knows he's being laid out for lunch, and his plans went one way, and everybody else's went the other, and he's being attacked by a bunch of people that, um, okay, now what are we supposed to do? It's yeah. really interesting to see how we work out this, how we're supposed to do this. Yeah, right. So now this, uh, you know, so now this, uh, right, now, so now the, uh, the city is going to be under siege by a much larger and more powerful army. Yeah, and which means that now they will have to figure out how to break the siege, otherwise they're all going to starve to death. <laughs> no, we're shared die. Yeah, or, yeah, or, just, well, normally with a siege, like, you don't bother sending in your troops until the, uh, the enemy troops are so weakened by starvation that, like, you're not even really risking your lives going in and murdering them all. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's looking like a very difficult battle ahead for them. Yep. And I'm glad this has got another season to run, because, yeah, I can see where this is going to get real interesting. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there, there's a there's good the uh, yeah the series is going to continue into the fall, um, which I'm totally looking forward to because uh, I really like this series. I really enjoyed the manga and the anime is doing a good job with it. Although this yeah. episode, this episode, like I don't know the way it flowed, I don't know the pacing, the pacing seemed a little bit off, and not not that it was too slow, but that. Like things seem to skip ahead really fast. I I can agree with that. Um, though honestly, that was in some ways good for me, simply because with Altair's normal pacing, I've mentioned before, my attention tends to drift. Yeah, there was uh, a yawn in there. We heard yes. Yeah, so it it, it helps it helps keep me um, more uh, like uh, engaged Focus. in the details. Which is, which is why I had a lot more to say about this episode than some of the others, because, like, I was, like, glued. I, I, there, were, there were a lot fewer instances where I, uh, where a bunch of people were talking for, like, five minutes and my attention start, started to drift, so. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it felt like they were skipping over some connective tissue uh, between um, scenes. Possibly, like, I don't. I don't really remember any particularly egregious examples of that. Like, yeah. I honestly can't point to anything where I felt I was no, missing no, the, anything important. Yeah, they didn't miss, like, yeah, they didn't miss, like, any plot-relevant details. It's just the flow felt off. That was all. Mm. Uh, but it's not a huge, not a huge deal, and the story is still compelling. So, I'm going to give this episode a four. I'm yeah, gonna... uh... I'm gonna give it a. I'm five. gonna give it a five, actually. Yeah. Okay, me and Larry are agreeing. Nice. Wait a minute, the world's moving. I can feel it shaking. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's all right. All right, so um, things like that let's happen, move... whether we like it or not. You know that. <laughs> let's move on to the reflection, episode ten. Have uh, fun. Where, yo, yo, Eleanor, maybe don't trust villains ever. <laughs> They're all liars. Yeah. Uh, ex- except for the Blade Lady. She actually is not a liar, but also she's more like a conflicted villain than like a straight up, I'm going to dominate the world kind of character. Um, 
but yeah, this this episode was a lot of uh, Exxon and company infiltrating Wraith's base and then realizing they got there just a little too late uh, because Wraith is able to uh, prey on Eleanor's own insecurities um, and basically take over her body i think yeah that that's what, what it happened? yeah it looked like uh it looked like she was possessed by wraith who i guess is the ghost of her dead brother yeah also is it just me or is it like or does the old dude in the villain compound look like a self stan lee self-insert <laughs> could be that is I mean, like, they've got Stan Lee doing the voiceovers at the end. There's no way that isn't supposed to be a reference to Stan Lee. Because, like, it's too uncanny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, that's how... You know, Stan Lee has a bit part in every single Marvel movie. Yeah, exactly. This, to me, Yeah, this is a little more than a bit part, but still. I, I'd, it also means they don't have to pay him for the appearance. To, um, no, but, but yeah, it's... his royalty check one way or the other. That guy just looks so much like Stanley, um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode a lot. Um, I like that we got to see uh, all the various characters uh, fighting against um, uh, Wraith's gang. Uh, I like that we kind of have the metal lady uh, I, whose name I can never remember. No, um, Steel Ruler. Yeah, Steel Ruler kind of have a change of heart um, and sort of realize that you know, Eleanor is in danger. Like, the one person that ever tried to relate to her is in danger. Um, and sort of, like, going against Wraith's uh, wishes to um, see if she can help Eleanor. Uh, I like the characterization that happened in this episode. I think it is totally understandable, even, as, even though it's the completely wrong and stupid decision for Eleanor to make. Uh, to... Uh, trust Wraith even a little bit uh, just because of you know uh, Eleanor's backstory and also how completely aloof and distant that Exxon has been to her when Eleanor desperately tried to get him to like be any sort of like authority figure for her someone like that she could trust and like reveal her uh, her worries to uh, it's like it's it's a little heavy handed at times, um, but I think that's kind of okay in this regard because it's not constantly melodramatic. Um, a lot of times it has a, a, a much subtler touch. Uh, so the times when it is melodramatic, like are clearly sort of meant to stand out, as opposed to a lot of Marioka stuff uh, or other su superhero stuff where or shonen stuff where it's just all melodrama all the time uh, all, all heroic speeches all the time things like that uh so um yeah i'm con i'm consistently impressed by how well the reflection is handling this plot line i'm kind of yeah i mostly like it but i really wish they'd start revealing like what the whole point of the plot is yeah, I do agree that they have been fairly coy about that uh, for a, a few too many episodes. Um, 
Though on the other hand, there's something about that that I kind of like, just because, uh, like for the most part, we have been so confined to the perspectives of the heroes, who they themselves are have no idea what the grander picture is. That I can kind of understand why they're being so coy, because they want us to feel like just as lost and paranoid as the heroes are. Um, because ultimately, the heroes are the ones in the position of, like, are in the underdog position. Uh, the, the villains are the one ones with the um, most knowledge, the most powerful position. Uh, and so, in a way, I almost like that they've been that coy, just because it makes you feel what the heroes are feeling. Kind of, like, desperate and like trying to figure out what the heck is going on, what they need to do um, to survive. Uh, Though at this point, yeah, I I am hoping they'll, they'll eventually be like, yes, this is, this is, you know, what's actually going on. And this is, these are the stakes that we're fighting for. Yeah. I think, I think, right. Yeah. I think the value of like, you know, (laughs) keeping your cards, keeping your cards hidden is is running out and they really need to step it up next episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think definitely next episode, especially since things have escalated so much that, uh, we should know the stakes by the, by the next episode. But yeah, otherwise, like I, I greatly enjoy this episode. I'll give it a five. I will give it a four. All right. Uh, let's hope this show sticks the landing because it's been pretty impressive so far. Ben, let's talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, <clears throat> Diamond is Unbreakable. Yes. Yeah, I finally finished it up, and I wish I'd finished it earlier, because it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. was pretty good. Um, I still... Uh, maybe this makes me a JoJo hipster, but I still don't like Diamond is Unbreakable as much as... Uh, Phantom Blood or Battle Tendency. I think those first two arcs of JoJo are still the best um, that I've seen anyway. Uh, but Diamonds Unbreakable is certainly a lot stronger than Stardust Crusaders was. Um, its its cast was, for the most part, stronger. Its um, stand battles were far more creative and inspired, for the most part. Um... Its humor was generally better. Uh, it still had some awkward, kind of cringy moments. Uh, yes. The the scene in particular I'm thinking of, where I just like I mm, I'm not sure about this, was when uh, Kira is confronting uh, the well, quote unquote, his son, but really like the the son of the man whose body he took over. Or he changed himself to look like uh, when he's confronting the kid in the bathroom because he knows the kid. Oh uh, yeah, that took a video of him and judges is like, you know what we should do? We should just like draw the child penis. I'm like, yeah, that just, really? <laughs> yeah, that scene made my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want, I want out right now. I uh, <laughs> um. But I didn't watch that. Uh, but Kira, I think, is like a really good villain, and is actually a lot different from the main villains that JoJo has had in the past. Because like, 
both Dio and the um and the like super vampires uh uh the super beings in uh, Battle Tennessee like both of them were cat were classified as extremely powerful extremely intelligent individuals like they weren't just like they didn't just have godlike powers but they were extremely smart uh and the way every jojo has beaten them in in past series was basically having to out clever them um and there's you know that similarly happens in uh diamond is unbreakable but, but with kira like you get the uh you get the impression that kira himself like isn't all that super intelligent he just happens to be like lucky and good at thinking on his feet because like every plan he makes is spur of the moment <laughs> Uh, and kind of out of desperation, and like that, no more is that better encapsulated than uh, in one of the very first uh, scenes where we, uh, in one of the very first episodes where he has a significant presence, uh, which is like where the JoJo group just happens to uh, accidentally take his sandwich bag that has the hand in it, and he's like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! I have to get that bag back." And the whole episode is basically just, like, this slapstick comedy, almost, of him trying and, like, failing to get the bag back until, like, the very end. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a much different... Uh, this JoJo series has a much different uh, relationship with its villain because of the nature of how kind of, like, fly by the seat of his pants... By, fly by the seat of pan, his, his pants than Dio or the super beings were. Uh, and I and I think it's, like, a, a really fun dynamic for the most well, part. Well, yeah, well, that's about his... It, uh, well, that co- goes back to his motivations, which is that, you know, if he had his way, he would just, you know, sit at home and basically just live his life, maybe, you know, you know, occasionally going out to kill some chick, uh, kill some chick when I guess the, uh, frustrations and stresses of ordinary life get to him too much. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's all, yeah, he's very, his motivations are very much also unlike the previous antagonists where both Dio and the super beings, like, want to rule the world. Uh, yeah. They want to dominate the world where he's just like, I just want to be left alone. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, so the thing about him is that, yeah, he is that, right, his goal is security, and he's very risk-averse. Yeah. You know, whereas, like, you know, yeah, Dio and the Pillar Men, their flaw was that they got cocky. You know? Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, it's... Yeah, whereas Kira's not like that. And what I really liked was the way Hayato stepped up. You know, even though he had no powers whatsoever, he becomes the key to defeating Kira. That was... I thought that was really well done. Yeah, yeah, like... Um, there were some dud episodes in between, like, um, the, in between, like, the main arcs. I felt like a lot of the filler episodes were, 
I didn't really care for them. Um, most of the main arc episodes were pretty solid. Um, though, honestly, like, as much as I like some of the stuff that happened with the final battle and the weird time-warping shenanigans, like, the weird time-warping warping Groundhog Day shenanigans that happened uh, with the final evolution of Kira's um, a stand were pretty rad. Uh, the conceit they had to the conceit they used to prevent everybody else uh from getting in on the battle until literally the last moment was just it really stretched my disbelief it's like because literally the rest of the group including jotaro is standing like maybe half a block away if that yeah <laughs> and yeah. and so and somehow they don't notice that Josuke and uh god what's his name the kid Hayato uh, Hayato are like screaming for their lives as they enter into a death battle with Kira and it's like how are none of you people noticing this <laughs> like at one point, the camera even mentioned, like, the camera even mentions the fact that they're just across the corner. <laughs> like, like if they were half the, t- if, like, they were, if they were, like, uh, even a mile away, I could see it, and they just didn't realize, that'd be fine. But, like, they're just, like, they're right over there. Like, they're, you can still see them. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. You'd think Jotaro, at least, would have more on the ball. About yeah, that. Jotaro at least should have, like... Because I'm pretty sure Jotaro, like, has been, uh, you know, in in Stardust Crusaders, like, he had good senses. Um, so in, in the final battle, he just suddenly becomes completely oblivious for no reason other than, like, people... Other, other than the fact that, like, the battle would just instantly not be an issue if you could get Jotaro in there to stop time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that conceit was just super ridiculous and unbelievable, but the battle itself, like, if, if I take it outside of the context of there's no way none of these other characters would notice, it was a really solid battle. Well, I think they were kind of self-aware about that, about how ridiculous it was, and they were kind of playing it for laughs. But still, it kind of stretched my... I mean, usually, usually, you know, even when they're playing something for laugh, they don't, like, you know, they don't fail at basic logic. Yeah. It was just really, really silly. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of what else to say about Diamond is Unbreakable. Um, I did super like... Uh, the very end of Diamonds Unbreakable, where the the person who kind of gets the last laugh is uh, Kira's first victim, uh, yeah. the ghost girl, Rami uh, Rami Sugimoto. Yeah, who gets to send him to hell, and then she gets to go to heaven, and it's just a super cathartic ending. Uh, so, yeah, that that was super nice because a lot of times JoJo does not necessarily end on cathartic endings. <laughs> Well, I uh, do like the way that I do. I do generally like the way they check in. They check in with all the characters, 
Yeah. And, you know, and say, like, okay, yeah, this is what's up with these people. Yeah, that, that's something that, that was mentioned by one of my friends, uh, uh, Melissa, uh, who, like, made a point to say, like, she enjoyed how in Diamond is Unbreakable, there's a very, uh, you know, there, there's a very consistent theme of community in the show and how important, like, community is and how important those bonds can be. Uh, and, like, she made the point that I think is is right that... Uh, like Kira would not have been able to hide as well as he did if the people of uh, Morio like paid attention to what was going on outside of their own little bubbles. Like what gives Kira anonymity is everybody else's like ambivalence. Um, and what ultimately defeats him is um, is the character is specifically. Josuke building bonds with other people, uh, oftentimes people who were once <clears throat> his villains, um, and like having everyone come together to each do specific things in, uh, uh, in service of a greater goal, um, to the point where the uh, the way that he's defeated is by everybody surrounding Kira. Um, and the, uh, ghost girl that they met and promised to save being the one to finally put him away for good. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's interesting because the, the first, like the first three arcs of Jojo were really were well okay so the first two arcs of jojo were really really fun like shown in action shows uh starters crusaders had its moments um but like so regardless of their quality they were largely shown in action shows that didn't have a whole lot uh, to say um about anything outside of the fact that like you know being a being a hero and punching a vampire is good uh, whereas time diamond is unbreakable has like a very specific point to make, um, and its main arc consistently reinforces that point. Yeah, uh, which I think, even though I don't enjoy it as a whole, as much as Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency, I think it is. Uh, I think it is narratively stronger. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's that's my take on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, one thing that's sort of interesting about JoJo, the series as a whole, is that each arc is sort of like, is basically a different genre. It's, and it, it, it plays with like a different genre, a, a different like movie genre, basically. Like, like, Fan of Blood is like a, plays like a horror movie, you know? And, you know, Battle Tendency, you know, plays like, you know, just an action movie. And, you know, and Stardust Crusaders plays like a road movie. And, you know, Diamond is Unbreakable is sort of like, is like one of those, like, you know, dark secrets of a small town kind of thriller. Yeah, it is, it is Twin Peaks as seen through Shonen. Yeah. Um, complete with like the uh, complete with like the oddball but well-meaning townspeople. Um, it's 
that is one thing I absolutely respect a lot about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is that Araki has absolutely no qualms with completely reinventing what the series is at like a moment's notice to the point where like you know he got rid of the ripple uh after two arcs basically like it occasionally pops up but it's mostly irrelevant at this point and then even further on i believe after stone ocean um he does steel ball run where like the series completely changes yet again and most recently also with uh joe lion changed completely again and you know talking about stone ocean what i'm really looking forward to that one's a prison escape <laughs> yeah and so well, yeah and let's see invento oreo is a mafia movie yeah it's just i love that Araki uh <coughs> is such a flexible author that he kind of just uses jojo as a template by which to play it out with diff to play around with different types of genre fiction um, I love him for that, and it's why I think he's one of the most talented manga artists, uh, manga authors of our generation. Yeah. So all in all, I'm gonna give this series a five. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give it a four. Um, there were several. There, there were a lot of filler episodes that I kind of just didn't care for or I felt were mediocre. I think the main plot line was for the most part very solid. Um, and also I liked more of the cast than I did in uh, Stardust Crusaders, possibly because um, I mean for one thing, Okuyasu is far less of a terrible person. Um, than Polnareff is. He's still just as much of a moron, though. Yeah, he's an idiot, but he's a good person, whereas <laughs> Polnareff is, was frequently, like, a gross boy. Uh, and, and also, I think that, uh, also I think that Diamond is a Breakable developed its side characters a lot better than Stardust Crusaders did. Um, but at the same time, like, it's just, it also wasn't as... I will still hold up uh, Battle Tendency and Phantom Blood as being sort of like the absolute perfect length. Like, I can't think of a single episode that I would cut out of either of those arcs. Um, it, both those arcs had exactly as much time spent on them as they needed to. They were f- fast-moving uh, with a really solid cast of characters um, in both of them uh, and just... And even though they weren't as thematically interesting as Diamond is Unbreakable ended up being, um, they were a lot more fun and kind of like distilled JoJo experiences for me. Um, uh, so I, I still consider those to be the like sort of ultimate expression of what JoJo's is so far. I think, okay, Diamond is, yeah, the, the big thing with, okay, comparing Diamond is Unbreakable to Stardust Crusaders, I think... Uh, Diamond is Unbreakable has much better pacing uh, in that... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It, like, I mean, even like... I mean, the... You know, there are a couple episodes... There are a couple episodes that... You know, they, they weren't as good, but it wasn't because the pacing was off. It was because just the content wasn't as compelling. 
Yes, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Whereas, so, uh, whereas Stardust Crusaders, their weaker episodes, not were like in addition to being in addition to like you know just not being as interesting, you know, having like less interesting less interesting fights and encounters, uh, were also stretched on for longer than they needed to. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of the double whammy of this is boring and also it's taking forever. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I will agree with that, that, like, episode to episode, um, like, even if the episodes I didn't care for them, they were still well-constructed episodes, and I don't feel like there were a lot of them that went on for longer than they really needed to. Uh, I just felt like there there were more episodes that didn't that I didn't really care for than there were in the first two arcs, which I still hold up as being like um, almost unimpeachable in terms of you know the the uh, pacing and content, uh, the, the pacing and storytelling inside the episodes. Like, yeah, uh, I certainly have my issues with it uh, with both of those. Um, uh, shows uh, sometimes in terms of like just plot points or dialogue, but uh, they moved at a just absolutely perfect pace. Yeah, structurally they were much more consistent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, honestly, I'd probably if I were to rank them, I'd probably go so far: uh, Phantom Blood, Battle Battle Tendency, um, Diamond is Unbreakable, Stardust Crusaders. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I would go... Actually, I'd still put... I think I'd put Diamond is Unbreakable ahead. Uh, and then Diamond is Unbreakable, Battle Tendency, Phantom Blood, Stardust Crusaders. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I know a lot of people who do far prefer Diamond is Unbreakable, and I, I, under, I totally understand that. Um, I know. I, I just... Maybe... Uh, for some reason, like the sort of martial arts kind of stuff that happened in Phantom Blood, uh, appealed to me a lot. I still miss the ripple quite a bit, to be perfectly honest. Even though I feel Diamond is Unbreakable did a lot of cool stuff with the stand concept that Stardust Crusaders just didn't. Um, yeah, well, but also, but also, I will fully admit to liking Jonathan Joestar a lot more than a, a, a lot of other JoJo fans do. I like, well, yeah, Young Joseph was, I think, I think the best JoJo. And I, I would not, I would not argue about that. I think that's totally fair. He almost gets there for me as well. Uh, I just love how earnest Jonathan is. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think both of them are extremely solid characters. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's all I have to say about Diamond is unbreakable, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, uh, God, what is our what is our next arc? Uh, the next arc is going to be Vento Ario, which is about... Right, Vento Ario, with uh, Dio's grandson? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Giorno Giovanni, or something like that. Uh, yeah. He's going to be the next JoJo, and it's basically, you know, a... Uh, a mafia... Oh, Dio's son, not grandson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's a... Uh, yeah. And it's a mafia movie. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, I am pretty excited for that. It seems like a pretty neat concept. And also, after after that comes Stone Ocean, which is the one I am the most looking forward to. Uh, 
I will be honest a lot because uh, Jolene Cujo has a rad design, and finally we will have a uh, female main character, uh, which like Diamond is Unbreakable did better than the other three arcs in terms of its female characters, but was still rather lacking. Uh, so it'll be nice to finally have far better female representation in the series. <laughs> yeah, and, well, yeah, and what's interesting, an interesting thing about another, uh, comparing Diamond is Unbreakable to Stardust Crusaders is that you could see, like, you know, Araki over the course of these two arcs, undergoing kind of a learning process of, like, you know, himself figuring out, like, what he can do with stands. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, I because, like, by the end of Diamond is Unbreakable, like, the way they used the stands was really, really clever. Yeah. Um, like, there were still a few duds, but for the most part, like, all the stands, like, had really interesting and unique concepts. Um, like, I, I think, I think, uh, whereas Stardust Crusaders, I don't think justified the switch to stands, except for in, like, in a few really clever episodes, one of them being, like, the orangutan who had a cargo ship for a stand, um, and also some of the stuff with, like, uh, uh, Darby and Vanilla Ice, um, Diamond is Unbreakable really sells why Araki chose to replace the Ripple with stands because the stands do things that just would not be possible with how the Ripple was set up in the universe. Yep, and he can get even even get and he can get even freakier with his musical references. You know, now yeah. now that he's run out of tarot cards and Egyptian gods, it's like okay, he'll just name the stands after his musical references. Yeah, so yeah, so that way, like, yeah, he doesn't have to. He's not relying on naming just humans on them anymore. He can just name these bizarre, like, mental creations, <laughs> and uh, and give the normal people normal names. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's about it. Uh huh. So uh, I think we talked about stands for long enough. So let's move on to listener questions. Yeah. Um, we've got one from Fathomless Blue who says, "Now that this season is finally behind us, bringing the same sense of euphoria one might experience after an hour's, hour's worth of projectile vomiting, it might be an idea to check out that three-part Magus Bride OVA in the interim period before the actual TV show hits to see whether it's your thing." I found it solid enough in a Natsume Eugene show sort of way, although that act, although the actual directing wasn't quite as impressive as the animation. Still, there's real potential there, so hopefully this time the hype will lead to something special, unlike this season's ballroom, which at this point the majority of the anime community seems to view as stinking more than one of those holes at a festival that everyone sh sh shits in. <laughs> Just a suggestion here, not a plea. You are, a, you are all autonomous individuals as long as you have intelligence and love and free will within yourselves. I expect you to, you to make your own decisions. Actually, forget I even said anything. It now seems awkward in, re in retrospect. Don't be weird about this, Larry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are actually planning on talking about uh, 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 Magus Bride OVAs um, the next episode, actually. Yeah, I've seen them already, and 
I will have things to say about yeah. Also, at long last, the future classic today, Neo Yokio has finally hit Netflix with the force of a thousand Toblerone memes. I say it looks like Dustin and Luke's prayers have been answered, but that this might be too big for one section. Assemble the League of Audio Entropists. The beacon for help has been lit. I do. I would actually kind of like to do a bonus episode uh, with some other people from the Audio Entropy group. I think it'd be real fun to go over with Luke and uh zach and whoever else i can wrangle so i'll see what i can do about that wrangle. speaking about which that's an 11 minute episode that just highlights some of the best wait what it is it is incredible oh oh that's a youtube video okay i see so i don't as much as i want to watch that i feel like i shouldn't because i don't want to spoil myself for my genuine reactions to those things happening in real time, so I will, <laughs> I will hold off. It's 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 a hell of a thing. Uh, I'm I, so I have heard. I'm sort of curious as to like how that show's gonna play out because Who I've been knows? hearing a lot of crazy things about it, and yes, people have been tweeting have been tweeting like have been tweeting uh, screenshots of it. And it's like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, oh, it's a thing. Uh, all right. Uh, then a question from Mark, uh, who says, "Who's your favorite comic? Like Dave Chappelle, John Oliver, Bill Burr, the likes." Oh, who can forget Louis C.K.? Um, John Oliver is good. Um, I am a big fan of John Mulaney. I watched his uh his two Netflix specials that he has. Uh. A few months ago, and I really enjoyed them. Um, I'm also a fan of Paul F. Tompkins. I think he's pretty good too, and uh, Bo Burnham is fantastic. So those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I don't have. I've kind of. Uh, I think I came in at the wrong time for Dave Chappelle because uh, I heard super good things about Chappelle Show, but I like sort of never got the chance to watch that in its prime. And now that Dave Chappelle has come back, he's got kind of regressive opinions about things, and is kind of a bad person, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched a couple episodes of Chappelle's show. I really enjoyed the bits that I saw, but I never, like, saw a whole lot of it. Although, for some reason, I'm following, uh, I'm following a Twitter, I'm following a Twitter feed called Wu-Tang Financial. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Which is a, yeah, which is a, uh, a bit... Yeah, which is, it's like, <laughs> yeah, which is a reference to one of uh, Chappelle's, uh, one of Chappelle's bits uh, from his show, Amazing. and, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's actually really, it's actually really hilarious, uh, the, the Twitter feed, because it's like, you know, it's basically like, common sense economic advice, like, in the style of, you know, hip-hop lingo, it's like, with, yeah, it's really amusing. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've also, I've also watched several of uh, Brian Regan's stuff, and he's pretty good too. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of comedians these days. Yeah, me either. Like, uh, it's, it, it's always kind of like a gamble when you click on uh, one of those Netflix comedy specials because it's like, all right, is this guy gonna be really funny or is he gonna? make me think that he's actually kind of a bad person. <laughs> so there's always a 50-50 chance. The amount of four-letter um, words. 
<laughs> well, it's not even really the swearing, but like, uh, no, even the connotations. That, you know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that that's fair. But yeah, like so, sometimes like you'll be enjoying a comedian, and then they'll start up with like, and women, right? And you're like, this went to a place I'm uncomfortable with. <laughs> uh, I I've had a couple of uh, comedy specials I've watched go like that where. I was enjoying the jokes, and then it went to a dark place, and I was like, "Um, I need to, I need to close the browser now because I do not like where he's taking this." Uh. And, and you know, back in the day, uh, before tape delay, in fact, almost before the beat button, there was some stuff back then that was, oh my, he actually uh, said that. Okay. Actually, one comedian I'm really getting, I'm really digging is uh, Jim Jeffries. Is, yeah, he, he's got a show in Comedy Central that, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's like, you know, kind of him commenting on, like, news and politics and stuff. In, like, except, you know, the way he does, the, what, 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 what's, what makes him great is his delivery. Because, like, yeah, he's like... Yeah, because he delivers it like the drunken Australian that he is. Uh, I know about drunken Aussies. So uh, I, he's not really a um, like famous comedian. He's actually a, a, a writer for the website Cracked, but uh, sort of along those same lines as uh, um, as Ben is talking about. Uh, I recently discovered uh, Cody Johnston and his uh, YouTube video series called Some News, um, which, like, you know, props to John Oliver and, and a couple of the other um, sort of, like, news-slash-comedians that have uh, uh, come out in recent years. Um, you know, they're, they're good and all, but I super enjoy how just extremely biting Cody Johnston is. Oh, crack. Uh, and how extremely yeah. cracked is a weird website. Yeah, because I, I have, there's I haven't been follow, like I, I yeah I've been kind of I have been following it for like months now. But like whenever whenever I do read it, it's like really cool. Yeah, cracked is is sort of like a weird website to like really put a pin on because there are plenty of real dumb articles. Um, but also there's some genuinely really smart stuff there as well uh, that's both like very intelligent and also very funny so it's it's extre- it's a website with a lot of that's extremely hit or miss but when it hits I feel it hits pretty hard um, so and and I really enjoy some news as well so I'll I'll probably link that to you Ben because I think you'd probably enjoy it yeah uh, probably would. Anyway, uh, next comment. La- yeah, Larry. Well, first, Larry, do you have any comedians that you like a lot? They're all dead. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's not. <laughs> Larry the... is Larry is our comedian. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's I can't. I mean, it, there's one that's still alive, but he's dropped out of favor. But yeah, all the rest of them uh, uh. are. Uh, of course, and again, that's kind of sort of giving away my age. Sort of. Kind of. Maybe. Over. Continue. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, moving on to... Uh, oh, yeah. Also, Mark says, Hey, Ben, since you like the economic stuff, get a Coinbase wallet, then an Exodus.io wallet, and put $10 worth of any of them and see what happens. Uh, no. Yeah. Let's, no. Let's not. Don't... 
don't get into Bitcoin, people. It's a trap. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's... Well, never any, mind. I can't a political comment. I won't go there. Uh, anyway, on to Damon's <clears throat> comment. Uh, when Ben gets around to talking about the anime that he's been stealth-watching, make sure he tells you about the Centaur's Worries episode that was an Animal People Holocaust flashback. Pretty sure that one is the winner of mo- for most jarring tone shift in the season. The above, not a joke. Okay... I, that sounds fun. <laughs> I stopped watching Centaur's Worries after episode two. Yeah. Although, I gotta say, uh, Dare's description kind of intrigues me. And I, I, I saw people on Twitter, like the last time I saw anything about Centaur's Worries, it was people on Twitter uh, show, sharing pictures of what the Centaur's Worries mermaids looked like. And yo, what the hell is going on with their mermaids? Like, the way Santa's worries as mermaids is that, you know how, like, normally you've got the, you've got the upper body, you've got the girl part, then you've got the fishtail part. Well, the people of Santa's worries saw how that whole situation worked, and, was, and they were like, but wait, how do you have sex with that? And they were like, no, no, we've got it. We'll just, like, give them, we'll give them, like, human... We'll extend the girl part a bit. We'll give them, like, normal human hips and, like, some leg. But then, like, the legs sort of join at, like, almost to the knees to become the tail. And it just looks gross. There's just, like, there's just, like, like a triangular hole there. It's... Mm, it's stuck in your head. It's the stuff of nightmares, honestly. Yeah, stuff uh-huh. Well, okay. Like, just commit <clears throat> to them being mermaids, centaurs worries. Come on. Okay. All right. There is, okay, I have not been following centaurs worries, but there is a show that I have been stealth watching, and I just finished, uh, called uh, Classroom of the Elite. And I got some things to say about it. Okay, go for it. Meanwhile, I'm going to look for a screen cap that shows what these mermaids look like, because you have to see it to know. You have to understand my sorrow yeah. at what these things voice. look like. Okay, so, right. So, Classroom of the Elite is a very problematic show. And it was, I cannot wholeheartedly recommend it, because there are a lot of things that were, at turns, creepy and frustrating about it. Like, it sort of had a point in that, you know, it was was trying to have, like, a kind of a critique of, you know, you know, like, hyper-competitive academic and professional culture, you know, because it's about, like, you know, this, you know, this school, this elite school where, you know, the, the, you know, the students are divided up into classes which compete with each other for points and... Yeah, typical shonen shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, only, yeah, like, you know, like Assassination Classroom, or some, which, you know, ha, which did that kind of, you know, you know, critique of that kind of hyper-competitive culture, you know, as a, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the themes that it was going for, but, right, but the problem is, is that Classroom of the Elite was not not as nice about it because like 
it didn't really give it didn't really give the viewer anybody to root for. Because Oh, it, that's a problem. Yeah, right. Because like one of the great things about Assassination Classroom as a thing is that you got this uh you know, you got this class full of these kids, you know, or you know, being mentored by, you know, a eccentric but heroic teacher, you know, to become a better people and stronger people. And, you know, and, like, one of the great things about that show was seeing, like, you know, seeing these kids improve, both, you know, both personally and academically, you know, and take on, like, greater and greater challenges and triumph. Uh, yeah, this one, it's sort of, yeah, it, it has this sort of thing where, yeah, it has, like, this class... You know, full of these, you know, kind of, you know, loser students. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> only the teacher is not much of a help. And the main character is, like, he, like, never, like, you know, he sort of secretly, you know, he sort of secretly arranges things so that, you know, his classmates, you know, you know, overcome these challenges. But... You know, the class as a whole never really improves that much. And the main character is like, you know, is really hard to relate to because he never explains anything. Like, so you, all you get is like these tiny hints as to like what his deal is. Huh. You know, whereas, yeah, you, you know. I find that rather annoying. Yeah, so the thing to compare, like, the relevant point of comparison is not actually, you know, Assassination Classroom or Bucket Test or any of those, but, uh, but, uh, the show, uh, <clears throat> My Teenage Rom-Com Snafu, where, actually, you can sort of see correspondences between, like, the various, the main characters, because you got, like, you know, the main character of this one is just like the main character of Snafu, and you got this kind of, you know, you know, bouncy, you know, you know, bouncy girl who just wants to make friends, and you got this kind of more standoffish, you know, standoffish girl who wants to, like, succeed, but, you know, can't really relate to people. Yeah, the problem is, is that, okay, the, like, the standoffish girl who, like, wants to succeed but can't really relate to people, you know, is kind of like, uh, you know, is like, just like a one-to-one -one correspondence with, uh, Yukino of, uh, of Snafu, but, and, and she's actually the most relatable character in the whole show, but, yeah, the main character, he's no Hachiman, and, like, the, like, the bouncy happy character, uh, she's no Yui, because the thing about, like, the bouncy happy character is revealed that she actually secretly resents all of her classmates. You know, she's not, you know, she's, like, not actually a nice person. Like, secretly, she's, like, just, like, this hateful, vindictive person who's, like, holding it in. Uh, you know. You know, and the main character, you know, compared to, like, okay, like, the main character, Snafu, you can actually see where he's coming from, even though he doesn't, like, you know, he doesn't, like, reveal himself that much to the other characters you know, you can sort of see from his actions where he's coming from, and that, you know, even though he's, like, he's, like, this guy who's, like, 
he puts on a front of, like, not seeming to care about people, but in actuality, he's, like, a really sensitive, romantic soul who's been burned, you know, who's been burned too many times by rejection. You know? And, like, his character development processes is, like, him, like, actually coming out of his shell and actually learning to, you know, you know, learning to get along with people again. You know, and learning to, like, accept himself and accept other people. Classroom Elite doesn't have that. It just has, like, the main character is, like, he's flat out just, like, using other people as stalking horses to succeed. Without, like, you know, without putting himself out there. You know, so, like, so, like, he comes up with these plans... And he gives other people the credit for succeeding with, like, the plans that he comes up with. Like, okay, which hints that, like, he seems to be hiding from something. And there's, like, references to his father or something like that. But, like, but he doesn't reveal enough. And the show doesn't reveal enough about him and what his, and what his motivations are. So that makes him very hard to relate to. And it makes the show, on the whole, unsatisfying. So I would give it a low three at best. All right. Okay, so uh, I feel like now's a good time to end the podcast. It's been about an hour and a half, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we'll uh, talk about more uh, stuff tomorrow since we'll have a bit more time, so we'll have uh, less episodes we need to cover overall. You um, mean next week? Yeah, next next week. Uh, it's not quite say. tomorrow, Nate. It's not quite tomorrow yet. Right. Oh, for me, next, um, it's tomorrow. Next week, there's actually, I think, the first uh, the first few shows of the next season are going to be coming out. Wait, seriously, already? Yeah, yes, first. because the next week is the first week of October. Dang. Okay. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, I've kind of already got my short list, and hopefully, what you guys right. are doing is on my short list. If not, uh, which I I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I should then mention, take the time to mention now that uh, I will we will probably be moving to a slightly different recording schedule. Uh, we're still going to be covering the same amount of shows, but uh, I'd like to move Bacacast to uh, a uh, bi-weekly show, um, both because it'll help uh, help me, um, you know, uh, edit the shows, um, not not get so far behind, uh, but also it'll give me more freedom to. Uh, do other podcasts in the meantime um i'm gonna try and do uh more uh skies of academia stuff with luke uh now that i've started that podcast uh, like i put up episodes of that like a couple months ago and then haven't done anything with it in the meantime just because i've been too busy uh wait what is this skies of academia it's uh, a podcast i put out on audio entropy Got three. I've got three episodes up so far. Uh, one of them about um, the idea of Skies of Academia is to look at specific games or specific specific genres of games um, to sort of analyze. You know what makes them uh, what makes like what makes them like they are. Um, you know what they what do they do well? What do they do poorly? How have they affected? Um, uh, either their franchise or their genre 
and sort of like what is their impact on um, gaming culture. Uh, so the first episode I put out was sort of like one of the prototype episodes I did when I had the Games Witticism podcast uh, back on Viking Rocket Ship, where um, I did a, a special episode about Final Fantasy X and X-2 and how those games influenced each other and how they ended up influencing the future of Square Enix and the decisions they would make for their games, you know, uh, going forward. Um, then I did one about MMO design, uh, and the most, and after that I did one about Nier Automata, uh, diving into that game. So those are the episodes I have up right now, and uh, I want to put some more out. Luke came up with a good idea um, for... Um, you know, having a consistent things to talk about for each episode. We're kind of going to go into, uh, we kind of want to use the ep- the podcast to dive into like really interesting games that are not necessarily like the uh, big budget um, stuff, popular things that everybody has played, but sort of use it as a way of like highlighting really interesting games that do interesting things and tell uh, and use interesting mechanics. Um, and sort of analyze those as well. So, and then not always games that are like super good either, but ones that are uh, sort of more, uh, more mixed or even sort of bad, but sort of interesting. So, <laughs> I want to do I want to do more of that, and also I want to do I want also have the freedom of doing sort of like special episodes of BakaCast where it's not the traditional format as well. So, uh, yeah, that's the primary reason I'm moving to uh, a bi-weekly format for the reviews uh, as we typically do them, so I can have more opportunities to do other things. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> let me know when you want to talk about D&D, because that's the only game oh, yeah. I'm really into. That is that is definitely something I left open for Skies of Academia because I do want to cover things like board games and tabletop uh, role playing games as well. So uh, I think a D and D episode would be a cool one to do. Um, anyway, uh, that'll be it for this episode of Bakacast. Uh Thank you for indulging me. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, I guess the first episode, the first week of the fall season already. <laughs> Maybe. And uh, you can uh, send us comments or questions either on our blog at www.projectkari.net or www.audioentropy.com or you can send us an email at bakacast at projectkari.net. Uh, without further ado, Ben. And, well, and you can tweet me at DeathSlinky. Oh, right. You can tweet me at, at Stilt the GM. And you all know where to find me asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Three. Two, one. Kid a bush. Ta ta, y'all. Have a nice whatever it is. <laughs>